I'm ready. All right, welcome to a special edition of Wharton Moneyball. Today, we're not going to be talking about sports. There's actually no sports going on really at all. So instead, we'll talk about the you know, feature of the day, the month, the year, which of course is the coronavirus. And I have on the line in a Zoom call, a, a fellow statistician, uh, Alan Salzberg. Alan is joining us from his home in Brooklyn, New York, the sort of epicenter of the United States, um, at least currently the, the epicenter of the United States uh, exposure and concerns and problems related to the virus and the problems that it causes. Um, Alan is uh, a statistician. He did his undergraduate degree in economics at the University of Pennsylvania and his PhD in statistics in our department. And now he is a, uh, a consultant and a statistical expert. And he's written um, on his personal blog about the coronavirus and some of the statistical observations that he's made. And I thought it'd be wonderful for Alan and I to sit and have a chat about the statistical issues that many of us are thinking about. So uh, Alan, say hi. How is it? Good to have you here. Hi, thanks. Yeah, we're not together in the studio, um, but we're remote as everything is happening right now. So this is a this is an interesting time for we statisticians. So um, what I thought we'd do is talk about some of your observations and have a little discussion about some of the statistical issues that, that have come up and uh, maybe unpack things a little bit more deeply for, for anyone who wishes to know more from a, a statistical perspective. So let's just get our credentials out there. Um, I'm, of course, a statistician. Most of you know me, a professor of statistics at the Wharton um, uh, Business School. And my expertise is not in epidemiology. It's not in disease or anything related directly to the, to the coronavirus. But it is in statistics. And I, like Alan, have been sort of looking deeply at a lot of the data coming out. And Alan, you want to describe your what you've been doing in this area? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've been looking at a lot of... Uh a number of things with respect to the data. And as a quick review, I started looking at confirmed cases and trying to figure out how that's growing and what that means. And I pretty quickly switched, although in this, in this, uh, with the movement of this virus, that means that I only switched like a week ago and I only started like three weeks ago on this whole thing. Um, All of us have been doing this for a short time. (laughs) Right. So I switched to looking at deaths. And the reason I did that is because the data for cases, confirmed cases, is, is, so, um, is so different. What it means is so different in different places, and even within the U.S., but in different countries. And so it was, it was what we called, like, what we would generally call, like, you know, garbage data, because a confirmed case might mean it was confirmed because somebody came to the hospital and they were already sick and that's the only what reason they would be tested. That was pretty much true in the U S uh, until very recently, or you knew that you came in direct contact with somebody. All right. Um, so let me just, let me just hold this back up for a minute. So the reason why we're interested in looking at cases of any kind where they're deaths is to try to predict what's going to happen into the future. We're trying to forecast the, the direction of the number of cases, the, the time, the number of deaths total, when we can get out of our houses, all these things are really interesting, interesting to all of us. And as you're pointing out, if you simply look at the number of cases, that might not mean the same things in different places. So start off, originally we were all looking at China and China was reporting cases um, and that might not be the actual extent of the exposure. And, ha- and, and you wanna, do you wanna talk about why? Is yeah, I mean, I can talk, again, I have the same caveats as, as you do, Adi, uh, yeah. in terms of not being an epidemiologist, but 
uh, like you, I'm somebody who looks at data a lot and, and tries to understand data and, and understands some of the statistics around it. Um, and in China in particular, there, were, there was a whole, there's a whole bunch of problems in China and some of them don't apply. But what, one problem is we weren't sure they were even telling the truth uh, for a while. And we're still not sure that they're still telling not the sure. Truth. Yeah. Um, but the pattern of the data to me indicates they were, if they weren't telling the truth, they were doing it in a, a consistent way. And because so whatever, um, whatever fraction they were reporting, it was sort of constant or, um, over yeah. the entire time. So yeah, they so, were, so one of the things that I noticed when looking at China is that there was actually some papers written about it. They, like I think the United States, were only counting as cases people who were sufficiently sick to enter the medical system in some way. Um, and many of the people that they counted as cases, they didn't ever did tests with. They just said, this is the pattern of this illness based on CAT scans, um, um, based on their, their, their pattern of illness. And they just said, this is definitely it, which I don't have any problem with. But it does give you a, a window into the idea that maybe that there's many, many times more cases out there that were insufficiently ill to lead to a hospitalization or encounter with their medical system. That's right. And, and in particular with China, there's a... I think a, a, a one day or two day period where they actually changed the definition. And in those two days, because they went back and kind of figured out what was going on, the number of cases increased by like 30%. Um, right. and, and that, that was towards the middle of the, you know, it was like went from 60,000 to 80,000, like two, or, you know, 50,000 to 70,000. It was towards the middle or towards the end of the infections. Um, and I recently read, for example, you know, exactly what you said, but I read that, even if someone, even if they knew someone had a case and it was asymptomatic, then they did not report it as a confirmed case. Um, okay. That was something I read like today. But again, you're reading all these things. Some of them, hindsight, some of them may be so, correct, so, some of them are not correct. So this leads to your analysis, your direction said, let's just skip this idea of total numbers of cases because there's lots of different ways to report them and uncertainty in how they're reported and what they mean. And let's just go to deaths, which is, as you point out, is more or less a reliable statistic. Right. So here's the thing with, here, here's the thing with deaths. Um, generally, and this is true across statistics, you know, when, when, when we're trying to, when, when we're dealing with something that has to do with people dying, um, you know, on the spectrum of things, you got, in, you know, like a car accident, like how, how many car accidents we have a year? Well, eh, I don't know, because like maybe Adi bumped into my bumper and didn't report it or, Maybe he did, but somehow didn't get the records. But you know what? If I if he if he kills me in a car accident, it gets recorded. And deaths are the same way. So that's sort of across the statistic spectrum. Deaths are always a good number. Um, again, but there's a problem with that because I think in this particular case, because the, the there's a lag. It can take several weeks or more, or three or four weeks before a death actually occurs. So so the yeah. So the main the main pro that's the really big problem with deaths, and and that's the thing that I think has driven, um, ha has driven a lot of poor policy or just very uncertain policy, because for this particular disease, not only does it take a long time to if you're going to die, it takes a really long time. All right, and we're talking weeks. Uh, to yeah. more, to more than yeah. weeks. And so that's, that's one problem. And the other problem is it's not like if I'm going to die from this, I die in 21 to 22 days. It's like, if I'm going to die from this, I die from like 14 to 45 days. So it's right. not just that um, I have to subtract three weeks, which I, I'm subtracting like two and two and a half weeks to figure out infections. Um, 
as sort of a measure, but that's really uncertain because that, you know, the number of deaths I observed today, the number of people die today, that's really an average of all kinds of things that went on all the way back to like February, you know, at this point, you know, mid February. Right. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it does cause a different kind of problem where you need to understand the disease progression, which we don't, we do have a lot of information on, but we don't completely understand. It is extraordinarily variable just to get that out of the way. You'll see people go from fine to dying within a week. And then you'll see people taking, as you say, up to 45 days to do so. We're already getting reports of fairly renowned uh, celebrities um, passing away and, and, and their cases seem to have be on the short side because of selection bias. The only people we're going to hear about at this point are the people who die somewhat quickly. Right. So, and so one of the, one of the things I, one of the scary things I observed with respect to that, well, there's a couple of problems. The, the, the lag problem, let's forget about the variability of it. One problem with the lag problem is that we, we could have, we may have taken some measure that has a huge effect on infections it will be weeks and weeks before we see any effect on the deaths, okay? And so what we might do, and I feel like we have done this in some cases, but I'm not sure because there's so much uncertainty, is that we say, okay, and we did this in New York, like on March 16th, we basically closed just about everything down, which, which we closed the schools, we closed the businesses. Um, we did, I, don't, I, can't, I think we didn't quite close the restaurants yet, but we did, a lot, we did most of the closures then. And then like three or four days later, we said, you know, this isn't working. We have to close the restaurants. Um, right. Well, there was absolutely no, there wasn't even infection data to know whether it was working yet. Cause you don't know that someone's infected until they have symptoms and then they get a test. And that takes several days. It takes several days to get symptoms often. And then right. to get symptoms enough that you're going to go to a hospital and the doctor is actually going to allow you. In fact, I have personal experience with this because I had the sore throat, um, and what, what I thought might be a dry cough, but also I thought might be allergies. I did not have a fever. I called the doctor. I'm like, look, I'm kind of worried, but who knows? This was three weeks ago. Um, I, I don't feel that bad, but I do have this kind of dry cough. And they're like, well, listen, this is the deal. Here are the three things. And they told you, this was at the time and it's changed. If you don't have a fever and, um, you know, and of X and, you know, you don't, and I, there might've been something else and you haven't been in contact with anyone yeah, yeah. that you know has the virus or who, it, or if you, and you haven't been to China at that time, it was China. And maybe Those Italy are the three things you have to have traveled and, abroad or right. had known contact. If, right. If that hasn't happened, just no test. You, what I was advised to do is nothing. And I wasn't going to, supposed to quarantine. I wasn't supposed to do anything. Of course we were, you know, social distancing for everybody, but no test, no go to the doctor. You're fine. If it gets worse, though, definitely let us know if you have a fever, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's what was happening you know, with that. Um, I got well, this off is, I mean, You know, so, this is, no, it's not off topic. Oh, so, it's very oh, important so, because no, but this, wait, 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 this is wait. why the data is so awkward because we're not getting actual information in a rigorous, uh, well-managed and time-continuous fashion. We've changed all those protocols since March 16th. And that is one of the reasons why infection rates and the numbers are so variable in ways that are, that are ne not necessarily related to policy changes. Right. So it looked like for a while, um, so in particular, and it really fooled me, it looked like for a while that 
you know, I, I had this idea, look, Washington state is, you know, so much worse because like they have so many more cases than New York. And again, for a while means like from three weeks ago to two weeks ago, because this has happened so quickly, but I'm like, well, Washington's going to be even worse than New York uh, by all measures, right? right. The, the infections that, you know, they also found out about people who died of it, who they didn't even know had it. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, Washington's going to be like exploding and New York is, eh, it's okay, but it's not so bad. Um, and, and then New York started to test like crazy. And then the opposite happened. New York was like 10 times anybody else. Um, and even more at, at first. Now they've caught, other states have caught up. And it looked like the opposite. New York is going to be like, you know, they were saying New York's the epicenter. I'm not sure that's true still. New York, it has a lot of deaths, but there's 20 million people in New York State. So, you know, there's 60 million people in all okay, of Italy. Okay, well, well let's, let's just discuss this. Okay, so here's the thing. Let's talk about the United States. Washington had a two-week to three-week head start on, and, on New York, and it had a one-week head start on California. But Washington and New York and California, I don't think have they've have show at least somewhat of a flattened trajectory. Are we looking at deaths there, or am I looking only at the number of imported infections? And New York does seem to have exploded in 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 many many different ways. Is it entirely testing, or do you think that the infection has raged in New York much more broadly than it has in Seattle and in California because of other factors? What is your oh, okay? Opinion? So so now so now I have a much more educated opinion on this. And so I'm glad you asked um, because I switched, you know, so I had these crazy things like Washington's being much worse, et cetera. So I switched the deaths and there were like no deaths at the time I switched almost, but they're, you know, in the, it was, you know, but now in the last week or so we've, we've started to have deaths and then you can see, and I'm looking now, I'm tracking four States really carefully. You could see that in New York, the trajectory is much steeper in terms of deaths, which means Remember, it takes a long time to die. This means three weeks ago, okay, approximately, infections were rap much more rapidly increasing in New York than they were in these other places. And not only that, because the total deaths in New York, you know, is higher and has been higher for about a week, um, there were more infections many more infections now, but there were more infections in New York, not, not, not looking at cases, just looking at deaths. So we know New York is worse from their death trajectory. You know, it was worse three weeks ago and we assume it's even worse now because the three States have had similar measures in place. And one more quick, interesting thing, and we, we could like follow up, but in Washington, even though it's been around the longest, it has the flattest trajectory and they, they did not have extreme measures there. They had much more, they, they were serious measures. Like they closed all kinds of things, but they did not have. Um, so they closed schools, they closed restaurants, but they yes. didn't order this uh, basically uh, stay at home, um, which has been ordered in New York. I mean, you really are not allowed to go outside our houses unless it's a prescribed reason. And they have not right. done that in Washington. I think, I think they might've done it in Washington the last couple of days, but like basically in Washington, they did not um, do that. And and you see a very flat, um, it's not, right. So on a log scale, which means looking at percentage increases, it, it is a slope, which means it's increasing by a certain percent every, every, which is still not great. Okay. But it's very flat and, and for, it's going to be a while according to, now this could change. Um, 
But right now, it's going to be at least another couple of weeks before they hit 1,000 deaths, whereas New York hit 1,000 deaths last night or this morning. So, um, and, and a week ago, literally a week and a day ago, they had the same number of deaths. Okay, so, so, so that rate makes, and, and now it's Washington has like 200 deaths and New York has 1,000. So, you know, when you have a rate of change that's quite different, it has a very, very, um, the effect in, in numbers is, is very big. Um, and we should talk about this soon. The effect is very big when you have a rate of change and your margin of error makes a gigantic difference as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> no kidding. So speak about forecasting. I mean, if you were, if we're trying to figure out whether any of these policy implementations, these stay at home orders, the, the self quarantining, the la obviously social distancing to the extreme, although I'm not really sure how broadly that is practiced. I still know that people are, kind of getting together, whether that's at six feet or at 12 feet or not at all. Um, we have a lot of uncertainties. We can talk about them in, in another segment. But how long will it be before we have any sense that these policy initiatives are going to have an impact? And if we can't trust the infection rates, because that's so much determined by the, the basically the, the ubiquity of the testing process and who, and who gets excluded and who gets included in the testing. And that, of course, is local. I think in, in, in New York, it's still you can't get tested unless you're sick. Here in Pennsylvania, I just did an inquiry. You can show up at the, at the right in front of Pennsylvania Hospital or, or HUP or something where I have these tents and you can get tested. And one of the reasons why you can just as a walk up is we don't have an overflow yet. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not at the point where, we're, where our hospitals are overloaded. In New York, they still have that, that restriction in. From my understanding, from reading Twitter and reading people's social media blogs, if, you're, if you've got just your average run-of-the-mill cough and maybe loss of sense of taste and smell, something that is quite likely COVID-19, you're still not going to get tested because nobody wants – what are we going to do with that information? Everyone's kind of quarantined anyway, so uh, they don't want you out. They don't want you seeing anyone. They're just locking you up, which means that the numbers are not there and it'll be some time before we see any any um, implication in the death rate. So getting to a question here, how long do you think it'll be until we see something in the New York data? Well, I, in my, my, my guess initially was that it would be about two weeks or a little more before, because I'm looking at deaths, before you start seeing the flattening. Um, I actually, for Italy and China, I actually saw it, and, and China had very extreme measures, but in, in both of those countries, I saw it before two weeks. Um, and, 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 and that kind of made, but not much before two weeks. So it takes about four, two weeks. If, if, you, if you look at a percentage increase and try to predict what it is, you'll start to see that, that it doesn't quite increase by that percentage before two weeks. So let's say like about two weeks though. So you'll start to see it leave like if, if, if you're going 10% all the way up the graph, you'll start to see it. Okay, well, now it's that little line that shows 10%. Right. It's not on that line anymore. Um, now, the problem is, okay, so let's say it's 16 days out and we see a couple of days where it's off the line. Well, maybe that's just, that's only two days of data as we know that's as statisticians. Right, yeah. And we better wait a little longer. So now with Italy, though, I'll have... Um, Although we are looking Italy, at... I have, about eight, I, have a, I have about eight days with Italy of data after it was Start after my theory says it will leave the line and it's getting further and further from the line. But here's something that's really important for people. So I think we know, we should know in Italy that what they're doing is working and it's working pretty well, but here's something that I think 
the politicians and even most people are not going to be able to digest. When it finishes that exponential increase, okay? So, so you know, when we're talking about that, imagine like putting money in a bank, a million dollars, and you get 10% interest every day, okay? <laughs> and so yeah. you get $100,000 a day. When it finishes that exponential increase, you don't see the 10% anymore, but it continues. Let's say it's a million and then it goes to a million it, one. It, 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 when at a million still, two, it's still going to be about 100,000 that day. It's still yeah. going to be about 100,000 the next day for like 10 more days before it actually starts dropping. That's what I saw in China. Um, and that's because it's such an elongate. It takes so, all these people who are already sick, okay, they're still in the hospital for a very long time. So you're just at the very edge of it not exponentially increasing because you're not getting new infections in there. But all the old ones, all the buildup that you already had, they're still in the still hospital in the and they're yeah. still very sick. Um, so it's, it's yeah. funny because it's very hard to do because of the data quality is so uh, different in every state, in every country. And we don't know what the testing procedure is and how that varies from place to place. We know that, for example, South Korea did several hundreds of thousands of tests right away. Their infection rate in other words, the fraction of the test that came out positive was 3%. In America, we're seeing that around 10 to 12% in most places. That's a good number to know. In China, I don't think there was it. There was 100%. I mean, almost everybody they were, who they were testing was so sick that they pretty much knew they had it. And that deflate, er, changes the numbers. We also aren't getting numbers on hospitalizations and critical care numbers that we can get that are accurate. I've been doing a little tracking of the Israel data, which seems to be a pretty good data quality. Um, and you can see they have very few deaths at this point, but their number of people in serious condition, which we can assume is in like an ICU-like level, that's, that's accelerating every day. And pretty soon we're going to start to see the deaths happen. It takes a long time to do it. I will see that, say that I've been looking at actual case numbers in Israel, presuming that their test method at least has been constant and in place for about three weeks now. They do about five to 10,000 tests a day, and, they, and they've been very um, rigorous and, and universal in who they test. Um, and I've noticed that they've started to bend off the curve since the 24th of March. Um, so they've been almost a week into, they, for three weeks ago, they've been under essentially universal lockdown. So it took about two weeks before they started to bend off the curve of the exponential growth. Now, just to be clear, when I say bending off of exponential growth, they're still exponentially growing, just at a different rate. It's a sl much lower uh, rate. And that, that's, that means you're, you're, you're moving off of that of the one curve and moving to a different curve. And eventually you'll get down to a, a hopefully a zero rate and then you'll just flatten out. Right. So right. I mean, you, you, you want to, you want to get to that point where, where your new transmissions are what we call R zero. That's the number that everyone right. talks about. So you want to, so we could talk quickly. R zero is like a really easy concept and then its implications are really complicated. But so the easy concept is R zero is in a population that's completely unaffected, which is what we have now, and unvaccinated. How many people, on average, does each person infect? Very simple. And they, they, it's thought to be between two and three, and there's widely different estimates. I mean, I, I read a paper today that says 2.2, but I've also read things but that says closer to three. That's under, that means, uh, under, under no social distancing, under ordinary circumstances. That's, that's right. Prior, that's, prior that's, to methodology, right. That's just doing whatever you want. So, so... And then another easy number to think about is when it's at one, each person gives one more person the infection. And whenever it's below one, it dies out. 
But if it's 0.99, it dies out slowly. <laughs> and yeah. if it's 0.5, it dies out very quickly. SARS, they believe that they got SARS very quickly by tracking really carefully down to about a half. And SARS, although it was a very scary uh, disease, and again, this is, I'm not as an, not as an epidemiologist, but what, what I read that it was a very scary disease and what I know about the data behind it, not a lot of people died, I mean, compared to what's going on now because um, they were able to, to track very well and push, push that down. And so, so you want to get that R0 below one. And, um, but I believe SARS uh, was, did not have that R0 the, um, prior to intervention that was that high. SARS was it, much harder to communicate. Um, uh, at least that's what I understand. No, this, no, SARS. So I, I know there's a lot of different information on this. But my, my understanding is the SARS, it was not that SARS was, I believe that SARS was definitely above two and maybe even uh, higher than um, three, which would be higher than this. However, they were fairly sure that SARS did not infect anyone until you had symptoms. And so ah, then right, once, right. They're aware, once you're aware that there's this new thing going on, you can have a huge effect by, you know, really pushing, like, don't sick go out. Sick people to not go out, yeah. And, and as opposed to here, if sick people don't go out, we think, we're not even sure yet, um, but we think that it might, st- you, you, you may be infectious a couple days before you get symptoms. And you may even be infectious if you're never symptomatic. But this, of course, sure I think is either. the, one of the things that we share as statisticians, one of the things that I always tell my students that we bring to the world is a careful understanding of uh, uncertainty, what we know and what we don't know. And one of the things, as, as non-epidemiologists, but someone who looks and thinks carefully at data, I can tell you that there are a lot of expert opinions that are quite divergent which of course means that they are making very different assumptions and those assumptions lead to very different estimates. And there, and the bottom line is, is that we, there's a huge amount that we don't know at this point. And there's a lot of stuff that is practical. Let's, let's kind of maybe turn to some of that. I've heard people say, you know, um, you got to leave your, your groceries outside and clean everything. And others say that no uh, transmission off of, uh, off of, uh, off of objects is possible but is, it is much harder. Um, the concentrations d- diminish rapidly and the viral loads are, are much harder to get into your system than when it's actually breathed off of droplets and even, even less so off of just aerosol, just sort of breathe, or just as opposed to ordinary breath as opposed to, you know, kind of mucus laden cough breath. Um, but there's a lot of people saying, no, that's not the case. And we're getting a lot of uh, dis- you know, discordant views. Do you, what is your general sense about how this transmits and and whether um, the usual, the methods that we're doing right now to protect ourselves are all that's needed or whether we could back off or where do you, where do you think we are? What's your, th- well, your thoughts? I, I, as a statistician, I've gathered the data on this, um, but, I, but I, don't, I don't understand the you know, epidemiology, but I really, have, I really have looked far and wide and it's, it's been 100% consistent among scientists that it's spread through droplets, um, which means that doesn't mean that you couldn't get it from someone not coughing, but it does mean that it's not, um, you know, that, that, that's not like the measles. Okay. Where it's really just breath and air. Um, Mm -hmm. and that stays aloft for a long time. Okay. So that's one thing. Also everything I've read with zero inconsistency. And again, sometimes there's a blank space there too. Like they don't know, but everything I read that did look at it and try to figure it out said 
most transmission is person to person. Okay. But we all, but there's also everything I've also, everything I've read says that the virus does stay on surfaces for a certain amount of time. If I touch a surface that you've touched and I touch my nose, I definitely get some virus. And then, you know, is that enough? And is it enough? Like, right. We, we right. do know it, so, stays on, on, it stays on the surface for a long time, but its concentration diminishes exponentially. It it's so. diminishes exponentially, but, you know, it stays for a little while on, on something like, uh, you know, there have been these studies where it stays a little while. But in my mind, I, I don't think that should be a worry. I think you should wash your hands um, when you come home. And I've been doing that. Um, and I try not to touch my face a lot. That's, those are always good practices, by the way, because you get colds and all kinds of things by them also. Um, yeah. So I've been trying to do that. But I think being uh, ridiculously uptight about it is kind of crazy. And I also think being ridiculously uptight about, um, I, I'm saying, calling it ridiculously uptight, so obviously I have an opinion about it. You have it, an but, opinion, yeah, about but, what? No, but the because of the, this is a very statistical interpretation. If the R0 with us doing nothing is two, that means the average person gives it to two people, okay? That means that very uh, infrequent and infrequent or quick contact is not likely to transmit it, okay? Because of many course, of us- we, we, are in, we are in contact with hundreds of people over a couple. Right, and, and many people, most people, I would say, um, live with someone else, okay? So that's already your one out of your two, okay? Yep. And, and then, um, you know, and then we work with someone and then we go to restaurants with someone and we go to school with someone and there's all these prolonged contacts that enable us to get these two. So yeah, so, but there's no doubt too, statistically, and I think this is something that people have a problem with, because if you, if you chase it down and I say, okay, Adi, I walked by you on the street today and I was only one foot away. Is it possible? I can't imagine an epidemiological world where it's not possible. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that, that's always the problem statistically. If you just ask someone, well, is, is there a chance? I think yeah. the answer is always, is there a chance I touched the, the guy who delivered my box has the virus. He touched it in the same place I touch it. And he did it within enough time, an hour or two or five hours sometimes, depending it's on the kind possible, of box. It's but possible, but not likely. It's always possible. So, 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 so what you're doing, go to extremes if, you, if you're super yeah. risk averse. And I think that's so, what people do. What you're doing is, is noting something that there seems to be a general consensus among the experts that the R0 under no intervention is between two and three, which is called between two and three. If you back then, if you back out kind of the probability of, of transmission in an ordinary interaction, given what's assumed about the R0, it's highly unlikely that a protected interaction, one that's six feet apart with maybe where, where you wash your hands is, is likely to produce any contact. So that suggests that what we're doing is probably all we need to do and that we, ex we can expect this to peter out or start to slow down immensely in the, in the upcoming weeks. Is that a f your fair guess? Because it is mine. Yeah, I think, and I think we're seeing that with Italy. The thing that, the thing that epidemiologists worry about, um, and so I worry about it because I think that they know a lot more about this, is, is not that we can't figure out when it's going down, okay? The problem is, if, if it goes, if we get it to go way down, okay, way down, right? Yeah, um, to zero. Like close to zero. Yeah. We're not going to get it to zero, right? It, it's pretty insidious because of the exponential growth. 
if, if let's say we, have, we go from having, let's say we have a million people have it in the US, which we definitely have more than that now, but like by any measure. Oh okay? my God, absolutely. Um, so let's say we have a million people have it in the US. Let's say we get it down to like 300 people, okay? Yep. Because, you know, there's still some people out in the world, whatever, 300 people, okay? It doesn't take that long. With an R zero greater than one, yep. To, for that to just for R zero right of between two and three, which means depending on how, let's say, it takes a week to get infected, which it seems to take less from the time of infection to reinfection. So that's doubling every week. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take many weeks to get us back to a million infected. I mean, that's, right, which, that's which the leads to which leads to, to two things that I want to clarify. One of the things we talk about is flattening the curve, and flattening the curve is essentially reducing the R zero down well lower than one, so that instead of growing at one exponential rate, we grow at a different exponential rate. Eventually, start the number of new cases um, is, is, gets slower and slower, and eventually we get almost none. And what that does is it stretches out, the idea here, of course, is to stretch out the, the infections over a much longer in time, to reduce them in total, and so we don't overstretch our, our ICU capacity. But one of that doesn't necessarily do is that what happens when you get to the end there? If you still have a few cases, if we go back to normal and R0 is two to three, we can go flying back up again. And so the reason why people are concerned, the reading from the epidemiologist, is that if we don't get a large enough um, infection rate so that we can go back to normal with, with an R0 of two or three and not having explode, they call that herd immunity. You have to have enough people who can't get it because they've already been exposed. If we do this too quickly, we'll be stuck in this social distancing for six months to a year. What are your thoughts on that? Am I, uh, I mean, this is basically the problem. Well, so what I think is, well, first, by the way, I think technically, and we should check this uh, because neither of us are epidemiologists, I think it's R0 is that, is that null, is, that, is what it starts at, and R is the reproductive rate. So we're going to get the, we're not going to change the R0 because that's a theoretical value, but we'll change the R to some lower number. So R sub T, I, you I, might call it. All right. right. So, so I think what we need to do, um, and I think the big question is, how do we do this? All we need to do is get the R below one. All right. Now, we also want to get the number of infections down, but that's going to happen. So here's my totally not expert belief. Perhaps <laughs> it's enough to get the R below one if we continue for an elongated time like many months of doing as much as we can from home and not having larger pub, not having public events bigger than 10. I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not saying this is the right answer, but what I'm saying is it would be to get it below one versus at zero. Um, it would, it would more than likely be less extreme than what we're doing now. And, but the big question, and that's probably the, the many death question is, okay, well, what, do we have That's a to lot of not deaths. Have... If, what? Let's say R sub T it drops down to 0 0.99, 0 0.98, 0 0.97. You're flattening the curve or the area under the curve, which is a total number of deaths. It's still going to be immense. No, no, no. But, but wait, wait. What I'm talking about is we're first going to get infections down to, let's say, 10,000 or some tiny number, okay? By, by doing this extreme thing for a while. New right? infections or total, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, totally. So, the people right, eventually so recover. We're going to try to get this down very rapidly. So, so there, there are very few new infections. So, okay. so the measures do we're doing. The measures we're doing now. Let's assume that's working. We're going to know yeah. in a couple of weeks, and infections are start to drop. 
Now, by the way, some states aren't doing these measures, but let's ignore that. Okay. Um, um, so let's say they start to drop. So that, so, and we get them dropped. Then when we reinsert everybody into the environment, we don't reinsert them to the R2 to 3 environment. We reinsert them to an R a half environment or even a 0.9 environment. And, but let's say a half. That would be really nice, right? Because then even if we have 10,000 infections, it's not going to ever be 20,000 if it's a half. No, it's, it's just a half. Calculation it'll, it'll go down, right? right. So, so, you know, that's some more deaths. That's another 20,000. That might be 200 deaths. It might be 400 deaths if it's 2%, whatever it is. But it's not another 100,000 deaths or 50,000. Right, absolutely. So that, that suggests that the way we come out of this is, first, we have an extreme period of social isolation. Then we relax it at various different levels into the future. So bringing the RCT up to a higher value away from close to zero and close to half, 0.9 even, and that brings us back slowly. It stretches it out over a long time. But here's, an, here's another suggestion, which, which is actually quite interesting and important here. There's a very, very big difference in death rates depending on age and underlying conditions. So at the highest levels, the death rates are over 10, 15% for people 80 years of age and older. Now, it's hard to know whether it's just being older, whether it's simply confounded with the fact that when you're 80, you have a whole host of, of underlying conditions almost with certainty. Um, but even at 70, it's, it's quite high. At 60, in fact, I, one of my neighbors who is a, a cardiologist told me that advanced age for this is 40 and above, which, Alan, that includes us. Um, and, and that potentially one strategy would be a, um, a social distancing program that is in somehow connected to your, your death rate, your inherent sort of death rate. So the, you can imagine saying, well, you know, we don't want elderly people, they're going to have to wait quite a bit of time before they spend uh, time in, in public spaces, going back to work, um, spending time with large family gatherings, for example. But potentially, potentially it's much more suitable to send college kids back to work, get to school, um, you know, uh, elementary kids back, uh, people who can't, who, uh, you know, we can work from home as much as possible. But if you're young, certainly go back at, go back out and go to a restaurant, go have a meeting. And, and there's the argument being that that shutting down the economy has its own set of damages that, that you just can't keep that up forever without causing a whole wrecking crew of other problems, which, which are in a different column, but are, but are equally valuable and important. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, well, and you know, there's also this worry if we could create God, if we create rules that are less draconian and less, you know, what I've even called fascist in some extent, I mean, we're talking about shelter and homes and like finding people for like walking down the street together. We to haven't me, done that yet. That's, that's coming. That, that's coming. Yeah. I mean, they've talked about doing that. They've said that they're going to do that. I don't think they've done it yet in New York city parks. Um, and they have closed some parks. Right. Yes. They've closed some public places. In, in our our local parks, we've closed our trails. They've put uh, tape over the basketball court so you can't play ball. They've closed the, the playgrounds. But still, people are out walking in, in smallish groups. So I think we, in my neighborhood, they've been fairly consistently, they're clearly families walking together. The same people living together are out walking together. But I can tell you, the younger you go, the more likely you see a little gaggles of teens walking around right. in five or six. Right. So I would like to get to the point... Uh, on a personal level, and I think society would tolerate a point, but I could be wrong, where your act, some activities are restricted, which would be certain public events and maybe many public events, in fact, and capacity restrictions might be yep. true for every restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, but that things you do on your own, there's good, two things would be really nice. 
Number one, you know how old you are and you know what your risks are. So that, that, that means if my grandmother is dying to have lunch with us, I, I might say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it with you because I will put you at risk and I don't want that. Or she could say it, right? But that's, that's right. not the government saying it. Right. And two, and this is really important, I think it'll make a huge difference, is everybody with very little cost and with, with uh, multiple frequencies can test themselves. And you know, you're right. not gonna test positive right away, but this allows you some comfort. That's a great, uh, that's a, something that will come online. And also there's these antibody tests, which are, should happen yeah, that's, relatively. That's right. Which that, will that's tell you whether you had it happen. or right. So there's all kinds of things coming in the future. Let me just end, maybe we can get to, to wrapping up. But I think one of the things that I'd like to sort of see coming out of this is potentially we'll see sporting events take place to at least empty auditoriums. Once we know that everybody, all the participants are, are young and healthy, either through testing or through quarantine. Um, that can bring some sense of normalcy. Then maybe we'll start to allow small crowds to return. And as you say, uh, you'll up to you to decide whether or not you want to have private events of some size. And and we'll we'll probably start to see normal normalcy uh, return kind of in part uh, over time. So my particular forecast, I think we're going to looking at another month of this, uh, approximately another month of this um, serious self quarantining. And maybe we'll start to move into these partial stages as uh, you know May and June kind of rolls in and maybe by July things things will be not quite back to normal but um, certainly much of the economy open what is your what is your what do you do you disagree do you have a different estimate um, well I mean I'm, I'm kind of hoping I'm kind of hoping that and, and thinking that it would make sense for the extreme restrictions to they need to last through the peak which in new york i would say is through april but actually other places i think it's longer unfortunately yeah um so it's probably like it it's probably like five weeks for new york and for some some places it like barely started yet so i feel like it's yeah five weeks plus whatever but they know yeah. much more so places they do know more with, they but know a lot more of them haven't done anything yet yeah. Most most of them have. Most of them have. So let's say six weeks. Yeah. But then, but then I think, I think the other piece is going to be a little bit more elongated. Like so, I think they're going to remove the severe ones and start to have things, some things opening up. But I think it's going to be in that other state. I think it should be actually for 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 several months. And and that would be sort of maximizing the amount of online activity we can do and minimizing hanging like. A, Frankly, I think the Google people, they shouldn't be back to work until like October. You know, my, you know, I work from home a lot anyway, but I, I have no reason to go to my office until October. I, I don't need to do that. Um, I, I don't need to go to a big meeting until October. I can do it on Zoom. Um, yeah. and so, and obviously there are people who work at factories and other places where they need to congregate, but they could also have rules there. And I think they, should, they need to continue for a good while, um, probably several months. Of, of some way of keeping people so that they're not, everyone's not in the break room two feet apart for an hour uh, every day that like, you know, wherever you are, you are you staggered breaks and individual. I yeah, mean, there's I'm a lot, like, there's a lot of, you know, yeah. so I think that the more modest stuff probably needs to last for a longer period of time. Sporting uh, events. What are your thoughts? I think playing alone, like you could, that could happen very soon. Um, yeah. I don't know if there's a, I don't know. I mean, obviously, financially, they could do okay with that. Um, I don't know if there's an appetite for that. There's something fun about having an audience, even when you're watching on TV. But I, I think sort of in terms of safety, it would be yeah. it would probably be pretty safe to play alone now because the players are so young. 
but certainly in a few weeks, um, that could start to happen. One of the issues with, one of the issues which maybe, um, we didn't talk, we need to talk about it maybe last time because I need to get off. Oh my God, one of the the issues with sporting events is there's a whole entourage that travels and moves around with the sporting event. And like, you know, that entourage, even if it doesn't include the audience, which is the gigantic part of it, it still includes a lot of people who are a lot of different ages who are then going to hotels, who are then spreading the disease around. So, you know, that's one of the issues that we well, have. That's to why confront. we canceled it now. I mean, I don't think anybody has any concern that the young baseball players or basketball players, uh, 99.9% of them are under 40 are going to, are, are, are even one of them will, will be. Um, no, that, that's why we canceled it now, but. But I'm but saying in four or five weeks, we can see, I mean, this is, we can potentially see um, modifications in this. And, then, and I have to say, like, yeah. like you doesn't need to go to the, to the office. Um, there's a lot of people who don't need to be part of these entourages and that are there because they're, they just simply accumulate. One of the things that I, I don't want to, 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 uh, to, to diss on my own university, but the core mission of the university, which is teaching, is going on remotely. And there's a lot of people who are going to be scratching their heads and going, wait a minute. <laughs> it's, why do we have so many uh, um, functionaries to, to, to support something which really can be taken place between the, the professor and the students remotely and mostly? And that's something that can happen. Um, and, and this may be a, a sort of an economic sea change. People will start to realize that a lot of the traveling and the meetings that we have in person may not ultimately be that necessary given the ubiquitous and practicality of having these Zoom, Blue Jeans, uh, Google Hangouts, whatever it is, uh, technology that we're using to have all these, these uh, conversations. So that potentially could be a change. Um, listen, we have so much to talk about, Alan. We probably should have to schedule a second one of these. Um, I want to, we've already gone past an hour and it's been a great conversation to talk about these things with another statistician and um, hash out the uh, um, the enormous amount of data that we've been accumulating and just been just breathing in either either newspaper, the internet, television. Uh, I haven't even got a chance to talk about, you know, half the list of topics that, that I had put together. So maybe I have to get back. So I wanted to thank you for joining me um, from your home in Brooklyn. Looks, uh, you, you get to go out to Prospect Park there at all, or you just been? I go out to Prospect Park. I went running already today with my daughter. So Okay, right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And uh, well, I usually go for a bike ride. So but we've had terrible weather the last couple of days. So uh, um, I just been walking our dog. But that's about the only thing I'm trying to keep it out, keep it down to uh, one, you know, one grocery store visit a week and uh, try to get out every day and hope you have a chance to do that. And we'll we'll continue our conversation. So uh, thanks. This has thanks been uh, Adi Weiner for Wharton Moneyball talking with Alan Salzberg about the coronavirus and the statistical issues which surround it. Um, we'll uh, be hearing from us again, um, probably hopefully soon. Take care, everyone. All right. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye. You're welcome.